0: Bible this morning. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 9. We want to pick up our study in verse 23 through verse 28. Jesus, our great sacrifice. We come to the study of the great sacrifice, and that is Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Messiah, the one the prophets spoke of to come, the one the old rabbis were anticipating and waiting for, the one John the Baptist Uh, He was called the crier in the wilderness. You find that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40 and also in Luke chapter 3. And John cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Now we know that this Lamb of God, his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The man from Galilee who walked among us. He became our complete sacrifice. He gave his life to give us life. And that is life eternal. Now, verses 9, or chapter 9, verses 23 through 28, brings us to this conclusion. Jesus, our great sacrifice. I want to read it through, and then I'm going to go back up and just begin to break it down. And so we begin here in Hebrews 9. Look at verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven uh, should be purified with these. By the heavenly things themselves, he says, with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not uh, entered the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Very important there. He's speaking about Herod's temple. It was everything to the Jews. In verse 25, not that he should offer himself often, As the high priest entered the most holy place, every year with the blood of another, speaking of the day of atonement, that blood of another was the animal sacrifices. In verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away a sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then he brings this verse. And we've studied this in time past. In verse 27, And it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Then he concludes in verse 28, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Apart from sin and his second coming. Apart from salvation. In his second coming he will come to set up the kingdom age and we'll cover that when we get to it but Jesus our great sacrifice I often like to look at the words and and just draw from them and we see the word sacrifice and basically the word sacrifice means an act of offering a something precious something that would be costly the killing according to the old testament of something on an altar and we see that as we've been studying the book of hebrews the word sacrifice something offered for something to surrender something that is for the sake of something else something given up or something lost and we know that christ is our complete sacrifice now when you look at the word sacrifice basically in the Hebrew and in the Greek it means the same in the Hebrew it means to give the flesh of an animal or a human life but I like this translation because Isaiah chapter 53 says that you could not even recognize the body of Christ after the crucifixion and so in the Hebrew the word sacrifice can also mean the slaughter of and according to Isaiah, you couldn't even recognize Jesus' body. He looked like it had gone through a meat cleaver, just literally chopped up. The Greek word for sacrifice, the act of offering an animal or a human life. And we see that our sacrifice that was given was Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't call us to be a sacrifice, but he calls us to come to this sacrifice. We must accept the true and the living God. I want you to turn to a passage with me. Go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, before we begin to make commentary. There are those that might think, I have to do something uh, to come to saving grace. And that's something that we have to do. And that is acknowledge that I am a sinner, acknowledge that you are a sinner, and then receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I accept the death on the cross. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to die on the cross. Now, there is a spiritual death. But we see sometimes, well, if I, you know, sacrifice my body, if I, you know, take on the whippings of Christ, or if I were to get on the cross, maybe he would accept me. No, the Bible says he's done this for you. But what he wants from us, listen, a living sacrifice. And so here in... Romans chapter 12, look at verses 1 and 2. And the caption in my Bible says, a living sacrifice to God. That's who we are supposed to be. And so he begins here. Paul says to the church at Rome, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In verse 2, He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable uh, perfect will of God. Lord, it's me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Lord, I present my body holy and acceptable unto God. Lord, what is your will for my life? And I pray this morning as we get into the study, if you've not given your life for Christ, today the scripture would teach you, today is the day of your salvation. You see, everything's been done for us at the cross. There is nothing that you can do to get into e- eternity with Christ except to accept him, to receive him, to acknowledge him. Lord, you died for me. Lord, I am a sinner. But sometimes we think, I have to work my way into the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about the Hebrew Christians. They're receiving this letter. Many believe that it was Paul the Apostle that wrote. But we know that the Holy Spirit would dictate to men, to women, as they wrote the scriptures. And so as these Hebrew Christians were receiving uh, the word of God, they're coming out of the law. They're coming out of the animal sacrifices. They're coming out of a Herod's temple that was everything uh, to a Jew. And so they understood, as we've been going through Hebrews chapter 9, the rituals, the rites, the customs, the traditions of man. And all of a sudden now, listen, you need to just believe in the blood of Christ. He is the complete sacrifice. Now, it's important to understand this because the Hebrew Christians were receiving this letter in about two or a four-year span. In 70 A.D., Titus and the Roman army would come in and level Jerusalem and destroy the temple. And the Christian Jews would be scattered through the four corners of the world. And so they needed to come to grips concerning Jesus, our great sacrifice. And so let's go through it one more time. Look at verse 23 now. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. So we know that the writer is the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about the earthly tabernacle and everything that was in it. We studied that last week out of Exodus chapter 24, which were patterns of the things in heaven. And then he says, but they had to be purified. The word is cleansed by the blood of animals. But the real thing in heaven... Jesus Christ had to be cleansed with a greater sacrifice once and for all. And that greater sacrifice was Jesus Christ himself. Now, the best that the law offered was the sacrifices of the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. We spoke of that entirely last week. It's called Yom Kippur. It was celebrated once a year, according to Leviticus chapter 16. And we have already established concerning Yom Kippur... That what would happen with the animal sacrifices? Basically, it covered your sin for a season, and you would anticipate next year as the high priest would go in and make a sacrifice for himself first and then for the body of Christ or uh, Israel at this time. Now, the King James uses the word better sacrifice. The Hebrew uh, it speaks of a stronger, more noble sacrifice. Jesus is everything that we need. Everything that the church needs is Christ because he becomes the more noble offering for my sin nature. I mean, up to this point, it was all about the animal sacrifices. Now, we've covered this in the book of Hebrews already, and I'm going to just kind of take you back. In Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is greater than the angels. They would put such an emphasis upon the angelic being. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses brought the law, and so the Jews would look to Moses. Jesus is our greater rest. Our rest is in Jesus Christ. We're also told that Jesus is greater than the priesthood because he is the final high priest. Now, if you were a Jew Uh, Everything was based upon Abraham. It was Father Abraham, and then uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus was a better sacrifice. It was better uh, than Abraham. Not that Abraham was a sacrifice, but they would look to Father Abraham. And then we studied, finally, that Jesus was not only better than Melchizedek. There are those that believe that he was uh, Melchizedek or a type of Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament. So Jesus is greater than the law. He's greater than uh, everything that took place in the Old Testament. Now these things were pointing to the cross. There was nothing wrong with the law but the law could not save you. It only covered your sin and so we have to come to that place that he Becomes our complete sacrifice now for you and i this morning you say well i understand that but what about the hebrew christians what about the as they were leaving you know the worship of the animal sacrifices and such and now coming to this place it'll get better let's go to verse 24 for christ has not entered the holy places made with hands speaking of the temple which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. And I want you to mark this for us. Jesus died to give us life. He did not go into the Holy of Holies, which was the tabernacle that was in the temple, as the high priest did once a year with the blood of animal sacrifice to sprinkle it before the mercy seat. Remember when he would walk in to this Holy of Holies. There would be right there in the center, against the wall, this Ark of the Covenant. The lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. There were two goats that were involved. One goat they would sacrifice, take the blood, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And then they would transfer the sins of the priest and all the nation of Israel onto the second goat and then release him into the wilderness. And, I mean, you went through that once a year, and then you would anticipate it again the following year. It only covered your sin for a season. Now, Jesus entered heaven itself. He has opened to all believers, having become our mercy seat, by which both he, Jesus Christ, and those who Jesus represents, which is the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, Are entitled to enter and enjoy the heaven for eternity. Now, here's a key to remember. Consider that Jesus Christ, appearing in his glorified body before the throne of grace, is the complete offering of the divine justice in behalf of all mankind. Jesus becomes my mercy seat. Now, how do I get into heaven? We've studied that in time past as we've been going through the book of Hebrews. In chapter 9, I want you to remember this. In John chapter 3, verse 3, and in verse 7, Jesus is talking to a religious Jew, Nicodemus. And he tells him, you must be born again. He tells him twice. Nicodemus being a religious Jew, probably up in age. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? It's a spiritual thing, Nicodemus. But you must be born again now let's take this a step further leave a marker there turn with me uh, to the book of Romans and let's go to chapter 3 now again Paul came to grips with this Paul understood that he was a sinner needing a savior but yet up to this point uh, before Acts chapter 9 Paul was just like all the other Jews relying upon the animal sacrifices, relying about what took place concerning the temple, the temple made with hands. But there in Acts chapter 9, Paul has his Damascus highway. He has solitarsis. He's knocked off of his animal. There's a light that shones round about him, but Paul recognizes that it was not just something that knocked him off, but a power, uh, that it was a spiritual power that knocked him off his horse or his animal, whatever it was. And he responds. Remember that call? Is that you, Lord? At that moment, I believe that Paul comes to the place of saving grace. Now, if anybody understood the law, it was this tarsus that becomes Paul the apostle. Now, in Romans chapter 3, he draws this out. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 23 now. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through the faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance. Now the word forbearance, in His tolerance, in His self-restraint concerning our sin nature. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Then he goes on to verse 26. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. How do I come to the born again experience? But by faith. How do I receive Christ? But by faith. How do I know my sins are forgiven? But by faith. They're no longer covered by just the blood of an animal. But now they have been cleansed. They have been washed in the blood of the lamb. Jesus becomes my complete sacrifice. Jesus is your complete sacrifice. Now the Hebrew Christian had to come grips with that. That they were justified in Christ. When you look at the word justification. The concept of being justified. Because I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And we come to the place of acknowledging that I am a sinner and I recognize that Jesus paid the full price for me. I I respond, Lord, I need you. Lord, cleanse me. Lord, wash me. Lord, empty me of myself. I want to come to that place now of the born again experience. I step out by faith. Reminds us of Genesis chapter 12 where uh, Abraham stepped out by faith. In the Old Testament, The Old Testament saints came to saving grace by faith. at the same as we come to saving grace, but by faith. By faith. But here's the key. Once we come to saving grace, now, we're sinners. I have sins, past, present, and future. But my sins are justified. Years ago, I learned the word justification. God looks at the slate of my life. And because I've come to Christ, because I've received the atonement at the cross, because I've received the precious blood of Christ, my sins are justified. The best translation, justification, my sins are just like they never happened. Oh, I sinned, and so did you. But they're washed, they're cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But we know that Jesus sits at the right hand of majesty on high and he makes intercession for me for you. His atonement is what saves me. His blood sacrifice, the propitiation of Jesus. He becomes this mercy seat. It is all about Jesus. That's why in John 14:6 that radical verse, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life." And no man comes to the Father but through me, You see, we hear that term, there are many roads to God, and that basically is true, but which God? The Bible says that we must go through the cross. Now, I don't get on the cross, but I place my sins on the cross. I die at the cross, a spiritual death. He takes my sins, and we've been studying this in the book of Hebrews. He casts my sin, your sins as far as the east is to the west. Basically in the sea of forgetfulness. And so when he looks at the slate, you're justified. Just like it never happened, it's covered under the blood of the Lamb. Complete. The Old Testament, it was covered covered just for a season. But mine is complete. Yours is complete in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll develop it further. Look at verse 25 now. Let's go back to our text. Not that he should offer himself often. Speaking of Christ. He says, as the high priest entered the most holy place, every year with the blood of another, speaking of the animal sacrifice. Jesus, and you have to understand this, offered himself once and for all. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, offered his own blood, not the blood of animals, when he made himself our personal sacrifice. Now, I want you to imagine this. We've looked and studied and spoken of Leviticus chapter 16. But imagine waiting for the high priest to enter the Holy of Holies once a year. And the best that the high priest could do uh, was offer the blood of the scapegoat. Remember that? And we know now that it only covered our sins, it was temporal. There were two goats that were involved according to Leviticus chapter 16. One goat was sacrificed, and then the blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And then the priest would lay hands upon the second goat and transfer, basically, his own sins and then the sins of the nation of Israel. And then release the goat. And then they would pray. They would set up intervals of priests and they would watch uh, the goat, the escape goat, as he would go into the wilderness and they would pray. Keep going. Because the sign was if the goat kept going, they took the sins of the nation and the sins of the priest. But if the goat came back, God did not forgive their sins. Uh, What a contrast. I know when I come to the cross, you know when you come to the cross and you say, Lord, I am a sinner. It's done. It's complete. I don't have to, you know, hope that the goat continues to go. But the process is complete at the cross of Calvary. Albert Barnes, in his commentary, I love to study him. Uh, he goes over 100 years ago. He said this about verse 25. Jesus suffered only once. His blood was shed once. In his suffering and death, sin was once and for all conquered, defeated at the cross. It's a done deal. And we've shared this before. You could take that to the spiritual bank. I know that Jesus died for my sins. You know that Jesus died for your sins. Now, I want you to mark the verse down. You know it. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is getting ready to die. He knows his death is coming soon. The soldiers are getting ready to break his legs. The Bible says that before Jesus gave up the ghost, he outstretched arms, he looks up into the heavens, and he says, it is finished. The cry of victory, the cry of completion, no longer the animal sacrifices, but Jesus is our great sacrifice. Remember, prior to that, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times he cried out, let this cup of death pass, but if not, let not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus did not want to die on the cross. In his humanity, he knew the pain that was coming. But he knew that there was no other way. And he dies on the cross to give us life, life eternal. And Jesus makes that final victory cry. It is finished. No longer the animal sacrifices, no longer waiting for the high priest, but Jesus is a complete high priest. All we have to do is respond. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. He writes to the Corinthians that were considered a carnal church, a fleshly church. There was a lot of doctrines that he had to uh, correct. When he comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he deals with the doctrine of the resurrection. very powerful chapter. And I want you to listen to this text now. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. If in this life, Paul says to the Corinthians, we only have hope, and I want you to underline that, in Christ, we are all men and women most pitied. If we just have hope, well, listen, I'll give you some scenario here. I hope Jesus died for me. I hope Jesus rose again from the dead for me. I hope Jesus sits at the right hand of majesty, and he makes intercession for me. If we only hope, then we're all men and women most pitied. In other words, you poor, poor Christian, uh, you're just hoping. But my Bible says Jesus dies, sheds his blood, is buried, then on the third day he rose again. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says over 500 witnessed the risen Christ. You see, if there's no resurrection, there is no salvation. I come to church Sunday after Sunday. You come to church. We say our prayers as we have have this morning. Uh, you know, we partake of the worship and praise as we have this morning. Ooh, we're going to receive the offering later, and you give of your, your means. All of this would be for nothing. I pray for my loved ones that are not saved. All of this would be for nothing if I only have hope in Christ. But you see, the Bible says that Jesus is my complete sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus is, is the final sacrifice, the great sacrifice. And church, it's done. It's complete. It was done 2,000 years ago. But imagine having to wait. Well, how close are we to Yom Kippur? How close are we to the Day of Atonement? Waiting for that priest to go in and then hoping that the sins that were transferred to the goat, that he takes off. I mean, we would sit there miserable, but Jesus paid the full price. Now, let's continue. Look at verse 26. He then would have had to offer or suffer again. This speaks of Christ. He would have to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, I want you to pay attention to verse 26. If there is no complete sacrifice, Jesus Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Jesus would be just as the high priest. But he had appeared, notice, has appeared, declared, better translation, once and for all, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself if there be any other way he's praying to the father let it come to pass but not my will be done but let yours jesus knew that he had to be the sacrifice now we know according to the old testament we've been sharing especially in hebrews 9 uh the old testament atonement for sin was an annual covering of sin it it was the hebrew word kofor it was temporal but now in the New Testament, through Jesus Christ, is putting away sin once and for all. Listen to this. For the last 2,000 years. Now, here's the key to remember. Jesus, one sacrifice was sufficient to wipe out all the sins forever. Now, how do I know this? Do I just hope? As we shared on 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. No, I have faith. I have trust. The Holy Spirit moves upon my heart. The Holy Spirit moves upon your heart. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is my teacher. And so as I come and I receive the word, it's the Holy Spirit that's teaching me. Now we're going to develop all of this come Wednesday night as we're going to be going through... Uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, the prophecy of the Holy Spirit was given back in the book of Joel in chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, that the Holy Spirit would be given to the nation of Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there, but he, was, he had certain choices and places to go. But in the New Testament, he's poured out to the church, to the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. And the church was never the same. Remember, they accused Peter and the other disciples of being drunk with wine. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Earlier, Peter had denied the Lord three times. was a different man now let me give you this verse i'm going to read it to you first corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 these things happened to them speaking of the old testament saints as an example an example to us and were written down as warnings to the new testament saints for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come the fulfillment came listen through jesus christ our lord that's why he becomes the great sacrifice That's why he becomes uh, the complete sacrifice. All we need is Jesus. Now look at the bottom of verse 26 again. Jesus has put away sin by his personal sacrifice. Now here's our promise uh, this morning. Here's my assurance this morning. I have assurance. I don't have just hope, but I have this assurance By faith, as you have this assurance, by faith. My assurance is in Jesus Christ, nothing else, period. Now, let me give you a few verses. In Psalm 23, verse 1, the great psalm that King David writes, and just verse 1, David knows, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want everything that I need. Everything that you need is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to turn to this passage, very important, the book of Jude in the New Testament. Now, Jude is one chapter. I want to just look at verses 1 and 2, but I want you to understand this. Mark, Matthew chapter 13, go back and study it, and you find that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but they would have been half siblings you see jesus was born in the womb of mary joseph was not his father but the holy spirit is the one that caused mary to be impregnated and it's it's just a beautiful picture this is again we believe this by faith but we come and we understand that jude is one of jesus's half brother James which was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, is another half-brother. There's another one called Joseph, but we see these two. But I want you to grab this now. Jude recognizes Jesus, listen, not as his half-brother, but he sees him as his Messiah. Now, those of us that have siblings, I have my younger brother, Ed. Now, he comes to me, and he says, hey, Bob, I'm the Messiah. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've lived with you all my life. But it wasn't until Jesus died, was buried, rose again, the ascension into heaven, and Jude and James come to that place. He's not my brother. He's my Savior. He's my Messiah. I need to receive him. And so listen to what Jude writes. In Jude, again, there's only one chapter, verse 1 and 2. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, Uh, says, now he's the pastor in Jerusalem, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied in you. Notice that he speaks of himself, Jude, and then even James. They considered themselves called, that was appointed, sanctified, holy, set apart, preserved, held together, by the precious blood of Christ, their Savior. Jesus did not come uh, to saving grace. They did not come to, excuse me, Jude and James did not come to saving grace until after Messiah had died, rose again, and went home to be with his father. I mean, they couldn't receive that when you think about it. But I want you to see how powerful in Jude verse 1, he says, Judah, a bondservant of Christ. He declares himself a bondservant. The Greek word is a doulos. He says, I'm a, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. It's by choice. You see, we don't like the terminology, the word slave. it, it just what it stands for. And So oh, I'll never be a slave to anybody. But I come to Christ. You come to Christ. We should be very proud to say, I'm a servant of the Lord. L- like Jude here, we should be very proud to say, I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a bond slave by choice. How could he say this? Now, before we come to Christ, if we admit, look at the things that we were slaves to. You could be a slave to drinking. You could be a slave to drugs. You could be a, a, a slave to lying, to cheating. You could be a slave to cursing the things that caught us up in the world we don't admit it but we were a slave too. now I come to Christ and you should be very proud to say I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ now listen it's by choice we cannot be forced but it's by choice now I want you to get this picture because Jude came uh, from understanding he is not my half-brother he's my savior James came he's not my half-brother he's my savior I want you to turn with me to the book of exodus chapter 21 and we described this in time past what is a bond servant what is a bond slave if you're doing a cross reference uh, study also deuteronomy chapter 15 but this is the law concerning servants and it describes a slave and the hebrews own slaves in the old testament But a slave was only subject to seven years. At the end of the conclusion of the seventh year, he had a choice to be released. But if the master treated him good, he could choose to stay. Now watch this. In Exodus chapter 21, we begin in verse 1. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, uh, he shall serve for six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go out free and pay nothing. They had their freedom that would come to them. In verse 3, if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But... If the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him uh, to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl. It was a type of a nail, and he shall serve him forever. He shall serve him forever. Now, I want you to see the picture. Uh, We're coming up to the end of the seventh year. The choice is given. You can stay with your master. You've been a slave to him to your seventh year. You can choose to leave. You have a wife and children. They will leave with you also. But if you choose to stay, listen, you become property of that master. And so the master treated you good. You went to him. Listen, you've given me a place. I've got my family. I choose to stay, and I'm going to serve you. They would take him to the doorpost, place his ear there, and they would drive the owl through, which was a a nail, and then they would place a signet ring. And then when you would go to the marketplace, people would see you and say, isn't that Levi's, you know, slave? Yes, but he's chosen to stay with him. Isn't that Jacob's slave over there? Yes, but seven years are up. He has chosen to stay. Now, we would understand a slave by choice in the old testament but does god call us are we to bore you know uh, uh, you know a hole in our ear and place a signet ring? god has not called us to do we see a lot of kids today you know they're piercing themselves and such my dad was already up in age and he pierced his ear and he puts a cross my mom was livid she says your dad's gone crazy he used it as a witness tool to others. You don't know how many people ask them, hey, Bob, what are you doing with that thing in your ear? And he would share the gospel message. But what about us? When I come to Christ, you come to Christ, you're that bond servant, that bond slave by choice. What he places on us is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to turn here. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Let's go back to the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Word redeemed in Christ. Now, he doesn't place the signet ring on our earlobe as we did in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus there, but he seals us with the promise of the Holy Spirit. We're going to develop all this on Wednesday night as we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And so we come to saving grace. Look at verse 13 now, Ephesians chapter 1, in him, speaking of Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, how do I know I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? I mean, is there a big HS on my back? The Holy Spirit. Is upon you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into my life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and He begins to transform you, He begins to change you from the inside out. Now, that's the beauty of salvation. Uh, look at verse 14. The Holy Spirit, listen, who is our guarantee or the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession uh, to the praise of His glory. My assurance. My assurance, Not just my hope. Yes, I can have hope in Christ, but I have an assurance. I have faith. I have trust. I believe because I know my assurance is in Christ. Now, again, do you have a sign in the back that says, Holy Spirit, is there an actual seal on you? It's placed upon you spiritually. As you come to saving grace, something transpires. Something takes place. The Holy Spirit comes into your life according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And then Paul says, don't you know now that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You wouldn't come to the temple anymore. The temple that was made by, you know, with men, their hands. But now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. That God desires to place his son into my life into your life and he gives us the holy spirit a promise that will lead you and guide you into all truth the holy spirit becomes my teacher the stamp of approval i am 100 percent a child of the king how do i know this he seals me with the holy spirit how do i know that it's happening look at your life if your life doesn't change, then you're not sealed in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit begins to change, listen, from the inside out. Mark this verse now, and you know it, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man, any woman be in Christ, he or she now is a new creation. Behold, all things pass away. you got to change. All things become new. Don't tell me you're still cursing after you've come to saving grace. Don't tell me you're still stealing after you've come to saving grace. Don't tell me you're still, you know, place the sin there. Now, I know we're going to slip, and I know we're going to make some air, but there has to be change. There has to be transformation. One of the sins that really affected me, which would have been an open sin, people could see it. Now, I drank. And I sold drugs. And so I asked the Lord to, Now he took that away. But I used to cringe because I was sharing Christ with everybody. And I worked in the machine shops for 16 years. So, man, I could curse like anybody's business. And we worked with women that cursed just the same. And I asked the Lord, cleanse my mind, cleanse my heart, cleanse my mouth. I looked at James chapter 3 and I believed it. You see, I was concerned when I would be sharing Christ and then all of a sudden, you know, a superlative would come out. Oops. It should not happen. Lord, change me. Lord, transform me. Lord, I don't want to speak, you know, in profanity. I want to speak about you, Lord. And I can honestly tell you, I don't know how, when, and, you know, how it happened, actually. But it took place. God cleansed it. God washed it. That's the power of change. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. That's transformation. That's metamorphosis. How do I know I'm sealed? There's a change about you. Dads, I'm going to challenge you. You've come to saving grace. Ask yourself, have I changed? Your wife might lie to you because she loves you, but ask your kids. Ask your kids. Years ago when I... Ask my oldest daughter. I go, man, mom and dad going to church. Do you see any change in us? I'll never forget as long as I live. My daughter, from the words of the mouth of babes, she goes, dad, you're not drunk anymore. Oh, man. Talk about sticking a spiritual knife in your heart. The kids know. Kids know. I'll tell you what. They go back here and they tell Tim and Elizabeth They go back here and they tell Pastor Jay and Stella everything. You come in, you say, praise the Lord. And the kids tell us all about you. (laughs) Oh, my mom and dad were fighting this morning. (laughs) They, They tell good things about you. But how do you know there's change? It's the power of God's Holy Spirit. And that should be our prayer. Lord, I've received the sacrifice of your son. And I know that I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, God, change me. I tell you, if you're honest with God, he will be honest with you. If you're sincere with God, he will be sincere with you. And that's what it's all about, change, transformation, metamorphosis, only the power of God. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse 27, 28. We're coming to the conclusion. And I love verse 27. We know that Jesus is the complete sacrifice. We know that Jesus dies on the cross for me. We know that it's all about his blood. And we know now that I'm sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he brings this forth. In verse 27, and as it is appointed for men, and let's include the women, for men and women once to die, but after this the judgment. Radical statement. There's a time and a place for each one of us. Now, listen to the word appointed. There's a day that's reserved for you. That's what the Greek says. There's a day that's set aside for you, for me. I know especially when we're young and we're still, you know, got a lot of life in us, we don't don't think of death. But when you hear of somebody with cancer, you hear of somebody with, you know, a terminal disease, all of a sudden, reality starts to hit. You get up to that age and you begin to think of it. I mean, I saw my grandparents pass away. I, I've seen my my own father pass away. My step my father-in-law that is, he he passed away. And now I see my mom, I see Mary's mom and you know they're up in age and how much time do they have? It's inevitable. There's an appointed time, once to die, but then the judgment. Now, listen to this. There's that appointed day for each one of us to die. Now, there's two positions that we take. Two positions. Either I'm going to die or we'll be that generation that's going to be raptured out, harpazol. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And if we die once... After this, uh, the day of judgment. Now, there are those that teach and believe in reincarnation. But the Bible says here, you're going to die once. That's that's it. There are those that teach, well, depending on what you were on earth, if that's how you're going to come back in your second life. If you weren't too good, you're going to come back as a slug. If you were okay, you're going to come back as a nice puppy or a nice cat. Now, people believe this. That's why in India they don't eat any of their animals. Might be Uncle Joe, right? <laughs> My Bible says there's an appointed time, listen, once to die, then the judgment. Now, mark this verse down. I'm going to give you two verses. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we, we already read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death but the price has been paid the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus I must come to the cross now Ezekiel gives a prophecy to the nation of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 Ezekiel is prophesying to Israel to turn from their sin and they will live listen to the verse verse 20 says the one Uh, who sins is the one who dies. The child will not be punished for the parent's sin, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sin. Righteousness or righteous people will be rewarded for their own goodness, and the wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. Now, again, church, there is no righteousness in me. There is no righteousness in you. I am only righteous. I am only holy. Through Christ, I must come to the cross. There is no goodness in me. Now, I come to saving grace, and I want to do right. You want to do right. But there has to be that transformation, that change. And so he spoke to the nation of Israel. And then Jesus tells us, Paul writes it, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We come to the conclusion of our study this morning. In verse 28, Jesus, our great sacrifice, he says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time or the second coming. But listen to this, apart from sin and apart from salvation. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, experienced the wages of sin we just shared of Romans 6.23. He experienced the wages of sin, our sins. He was no sin. He had no sin. But our sins were upon uh, the sacrifice of Christ. He died for us, remember, past, present, and future. So Jesus, our Lord and Savior, experienced the wages of sin for us. He was offered, presented as our sacrifice once and for all to bear, listen, to take up the sins of many. All this took place 2,000 years ago for all who eagerly wait or to look for him, Christ Jesus. And here's the promise. He will appear a second time. And it's apart from sin, apart from salvation. What does that mean? Jesus is returning. It's called his second coming, the parousia of Christ to establish the kingdom of God on earth. His second coming will have nothing to do with sin or the salvation because he has already gone to the cross there at Mount Calvary 2,000 years ago. Jesus, our complete sacrifice. We have the promise of the seal of the Holy Spirit. In other words, church, it's a done deal. The second coming is to set up the kingdom age. There will be those that will be saved during the time of the tribulation. They will listen to the two witnesses and the 144,000. That's all in the book of Revelation. But in his second coming, the church comes back. And he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to enter through the Golden Gate. (laughs) He'll set up the kingdom age. The Bible says we will be kings and priests in the millennium to come. You know, it's interesting. We've shared this before. Everybody accepts the first coming of Christ. Baby Jesus, the manger scene. I mean, who doesn't love Christmas? But we don't hear of his second coming, the parousia of Christ. Listen, if Jesus came the first time, what makes us think he's not coming the second time? And if he's coming the second time, there has to be the removal of the church. I believe that the rapture, the apostle, the church will be taken away. And then we know that there will be a seven years of tribulation where 21 judgments will fall upon the earth. And then at the conclusion, Jesus will come back with his church in glory. We'll be part of that. Church, Jesus is our great sacrifice. The question this morning, as we conclude, have we accepted that? One of our brothers in Christ in our first service, Daniel, he's dying of cancer. He was here. He, he, he felt good today. He loves coming to church. But unless God does a miracle, Daniel's going to go home to be with the Lord. And you know what his anticipation is? He's got a big family. He says, Pastor Bob, I'm sharing with them. I want them to come to saving grace. And it, it baffles my mind. Is Lord, is this why this man has this cancer, that he might be a witness and a testimony of your love? I'll tell you what, my dad did the same thing. My dad did the same thing. He shared with anybody and everybody. Is that what it takes for us? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If he's the complete sacrifice and I haven't accepted, what am I waiting for? And so we're going to give you the challenge as we did the first service, second service. Every time I have the opportunity, I'll give the challenge because I don't want to stand before God's throne one day and say, Bob, you never said nothing. Oh, yes, I did. Or I don't want somebody to stand before God's throne and say, I went to Calvary Chapel, they never told me. And God's going to say, oh, yes, they did. And so today is the day of our salvation. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Lord, we know that Jesus is our great sacrifice. We know that Jesus is our complete sacrifice. He's our complete high priest. But, Lord, this morning, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe we go to church every Sunday. Maybe we call ourselves Christian. Maybe my name is written in a ledger at another church. Maybe I've come to water baptism. But the Bible says, are you truly born again of the Holy Spirit? With every eye closed, every head bound, I believe the Holy Spirit is the only one that can bring a conviction. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can save you. My place is to make the opportunity available. If that's you this morning, you've never received Christ, you'd like to receive Christ this morning, right there where you're sitting... Would you please raise your hand? I'll say a simple prayer of faith with you. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at. I see your hand up here in the front. Praise the Lord. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning? Don't leave here without Jesus. As this young lady up here raised her hand. Anybody else before we end? Praise the Lord. Then let's pray for this young lady up in the front here. Father, we are so grateful for your saving grace your saving power lord i thank you for this young lady lord that uh, acknowledge that she is a sinner she acknowledges lord that she needs a savior lord maybe she's done the religious thing like a lot of us did so many years and we recognize i need jesus i need this complete sacrifice Uh, the animal sacrifices is not enough The rituals, the rites, the customs, even my own traditions of what I think is not enough. I need a Savior. Lord, I ask as she acknowledges her sins to you, Lord, you know her sins. I don't need to know them. Nobody else needs to know them. Lord, empty her of herself. And now, Lord, fill her with the Holy Spirit. Lord, give her a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give her a hunger and a thirst for your Word. Lord, come into her life, change her, transform her, make her afresh and anew, even here this morning. We ask for your anointing upon her. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that we would draw closer to you, that we would desire, Lord, uh, to know more about Jesus. Lord, bless this time. Lord, bless the, the offerings this morning as you've given to us. We give back a portion. Lord, we continue to pray for the outreach uh, in Klein Park that's going to take place next month. Lord, be, be a, uh, the provider for that place, Lord. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.